Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm uh, talking to young Dale, our producer. How are you today, Dale? I'm pretty good, Joe. You feel better now that your birthday's over? Yes, yes. It's all yeah, past. Yes. all behind me now. Yeah, it's all boring, back to boring <laughs> reality, is it? Yeah. She got a bit surprised last week. Uh, because we found, look, we've actually better introduce our guest, which is Professor Alfred Poulos, P-O-U-L-O-S. Now, Alfred. Used to be Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos. A number of years ago. Papadopoulos. And then I got sick, absolutely yeah. sick and tired of having to spell Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos. <laughs> and I got sick of the kids at school calling me Papa, Flipper, Flapper, Flopolos. <laughs> so, uh, by so, the time I went to university, I changed it to Poulos. But did your parents change then? No. No. What do they think about this? Um, uh, I don't know. I think uh, my father just, I don't think he knew. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was in my early 20s. He was in his, I think, 80s or 60s or 70s at the time. So you're your own man. So were you born in Australia? I was born in Australia. Yeah. Born in Australia. Brisbane. Yeah. In Brisbane. Mm. Really? Yeah. We're all born in Brisbane yeah. here. Did you know that? Yeah. No, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Royal Women's Hospital? Oh, all the Royal best. Women's Hospital boys? Uh, I'm not sure which hospital. It would have been. Would yeah. have been. I, would, I was there at the time. but Yeah, no, no, it would have been. If your parents were poor immigrants, it would yeah. have been the Royal Women's Hospital. Women's Hospital. Yeah. It would have been there yeah. up on Hurst, yeah. in Hurston, up yeah. on the hill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so uh, just to uh, orientate our listeners, uh, what year were you born? 1940, long time ago. 1940. Which makes me 79 next birthday, well, which is next month, this month actually. Well, looking yeah. at you, you look about 64. Okay. You actually look younger than me. What do you reckon, Dale? You look younger. Well, she's got to be think careful. the professor looks younger than me. <laughs> got to be careful what she says. Oh, well. No, no, she doesn't have to be careful. She Everyone, runs the show. Well, everyone's young and hot here. Yeah, yeah, but you're clean shaven. You've got all your hair. Yeah. Your eyes are glistening. Yeah. I mean, as a medical doctor, I think you're doing well. Yeah, I'm actually a scientist so, rather yeah. than a medic. So, uh, all right. Well, I've been involved with medicine over the years. Right. <clears throat> so, born in 1940 mm-hmm. in Australia. So, when did your parents come across? My father came in in the 1920s, I think right. it was, yeah. and my mother arrived a decade or so later. Right. They used to have these bride ships. Yes, Come yes. along full of, you know, Greek women, Italian yeah. women, that's right. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Mm. But it's unusual for him to come across the 1920s. What was the main reason, do you know? Or? No, I don't know what the main reason, but but he lived on the island of Castellorizo, which right. is where he came from. Mm. 
most of the listeners don't know anything about Gastelorizo. Mm. Now, Gastelorizo is a remote outpost, and for a period of time, I have to say this, it was run by Italians, right. believe it or not, yes, yes, and, the French, yep, yep. and the French, yep. and it's in the Aegean, yep. uh, in the Aegean mm. Sea, remote, yep. close to Turkey, mm. uh, and they emigrated from there. Now, back in the early part of the 20th century, there were 10,000 people lived on Gastelorizo, and then about 50, 60 years later, there were 300. 300. So just about everyone left. And most of them came to either Sydney or Melbourne, I think. Right, right. So that's what happened. But they came to Brisbane? Uh, yeah, yeah, mm. they came to Brisbane. And what type of uh, work did your father do? My father, uh, in Queensland, he ran, you know, a fish and chip shop. Right, and, right. You know, the usual stuff. The usual stuff, yeah. The usual stuff. The usual uh, and he, and cafe. Yeah, and when yeah. he went to Sydney, yeah. uh, he also ran a fish and chip shop. Mm. And then eventually he had a problem with his shoulder. He's had some sort of arthritic mm. problem. Mm. So he got a job in a factory. Mm. Now, in retrospect, it was the worst possible thing that he did because mm. the factory was a glass-making factory. And the noise was intense, mm. the heat was intense, mm. and there was pollution like you wouldn't believe. Mm. And the interesting thing is I'm researching at the moment the effects of noise pollution mm-hmm. on hearing. Mm. And the, the link between noise mm. and solvents, mm. very strong, the impact on, on mm. hearing. Mm. We'll, talk, so, about that. we'll yeah, talk about that later yeah. on. So but just think back. Yeah, we've got a whole hour. We've yeah. got a whole hour to get yeah. to that. We want to. We want to oh, learn you more can't. about you. Yeah, I have what? verbal diarrhoea. Let well, me tell you. That's fine. That's fine. I have too. And <laughs> they'll slap us into uh, into shape uh, when she's ready. But um, what was your mum like? Uh, my mother had a very unhappy existence. Mm. I think basically mm. she came to Australia. Her husband was selected for her, and yes. that's what happened back then. Yeah. Uh, and she arrived in Australia. She she knew him because mm. they lived next door to each other, but right. they hadn't seen each other for at least a decade. Mm. And he was basically chosen for her. She had no say in it. Mm. Did they have a wide age gap in those days? Did they have a what? A gap, the gap between age. Between oh, it was about 10, ten years. Which yeah, about normal yeah, in those Which is fairly normal. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, did she uh, work in a factory too? Or? No, she never worked. She never worked. Yeah. Okay. And did you have any brothers and sisters? My brother and a sister. Mm. Uh, my brother also did science, mm-hmm. and uh, he's still at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney. And he's got a, a doctorate. Uh, he's a, a PhD. Mm. My sister also trained as a, a welfare officer. So right. she worked for the New South Wales government as a welfare officer for right. a number of years. Right. And then she became a hospital chaplain, chaplain. briefly. briefly. So. All right, getting back to your early years, what's the uh, first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Um, <clears throat> Not much, but one thing I do remember was we must have lived in a flat or something, mm. and myself and another child, I must have been three or four at the time, we were down in the basement where there, there were cars, mm. and I was playing around with matches, Right. and I remember all of a sudden uh, there were flames, Yes. Um, and then I raced up, spoke to my parents, mm. and... Uh, I said, look, there's, there's flames. And I said, it's the Japanese. Right. Because <laughs> at that time, the yeah. Japanese were, you know, bombing just about everything. So yeah, yeah. I blamed the Japanese, Japanese. for what right. I'd done. Right. And I've continued to blame other people but all my life. life. I like that. It's very good for a three or four-year-old in, in the midst of the war to the Japanese. Why not? Oh, that's, that's one of the most impressive answers I've ever had. Mm. I didn't call them Japanese. I called them the Japs. The course. Japs, the Japs. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the Japs. Because <clears> they... 
you were in Sydney at that stage or Brisbane? That was Brisbane. That was Brisbane, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Remember the old Brisbane line, you know, they were going to defend up yeah. south of Brisbane, anything yeah. above that, yeah. bad luck. Yes. Yeah. Um, did you speak Greek at home? Uh, I spoke Greek at home mm. and my father told me a story that I learned to speak Greek up until the age of five. Mm-hmm. Then I went to school and I lost the Greek and I couldn't speak to him in Greek after one or two years. Uh, I could only speak to him in English. And, of course, he could barely speak English. Well, that's interesting. So it was difficult to communicate well, with Well, I had a different experience. I, I, we are, I didn't yeah. know a word of English until I went yeah. to school at five. Yeah. But we still kept speaking Italian at home. Right. Until yeah. they died. We, yeah. sp- we didn't, didn't speak English yeah. at home. So what was school like for a young lad who didn't know how to uh, speak? Yeah, school was, I went to Crown Street Primary School mm. in Sydney and oh, it was great. You know, I, I enjoyed it, uh, mm. had friends and you know, it, was, it was a good experience. The primary school was a good experience. Mm. Did, did you feel that uh, there was anything in primary school you enjoyed in terms of the learning experience? No, not, not back then. I was, mm. I was okay at maths and mm. uh, okay at you know, English mm. and things like that, but... No, there was nothing in particular at nothing primary school. But there was, and my wife's listening to this, and I've right. told her about this, <laughs> but there was an experience that um, I think shaped my life, and that was we live in rented accommodation in Surrey Hills in Sydney, mm-hmm. which in that time was a slum, mm-hmm. and it was full of migrant, you know, Greeks, Italians, yep, etc. Yep. And uh, we live in rented accommodation, and then I don't know what happened, but we were evicted from our house um, I think my father went to court and then we were kicked out of the house yeah. and then we were moved to uh, what you'd call temporary housing commission type yep. accommodation probably 20-25 kilometres out mm-hmm. at a place called Warwick Farm you've right. probably heard yes, of Warwick, Warwick Farm, Farm yep. yeah so we lived there for a couple of years and that was for me a traumatic experience because I had all our friends and mm-hmm. the community at Surrey Hills and we moved Somewhere completely different. Yeah, because that would have yeah. been a fair way in those days. I was actually at Warwick Farm about two months ago. Were you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not at the racetrack, no. No, 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 not the racetrack. I no. did pass the racetrack. Yeah. I was actually uh, yeah. in one of the hotels there. I had to yeah. do some business in Sydney. Right. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Because yeah. it's not a very... It's a nondescript suburb, oh, even now. Yeah. It's totally nondescript. Well, they were huts, basically. Yeah, they weren't yeah. proper homes. Yeah. I think the army, uh, you know, army personnel mm. actually lived there before us. Mm. And they were these, you know, huts and mm. we lived in, you know, for two years. Yeah. Um, right. <clears throat> and so that had a profound effect, you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And some of the people there were not what you'd call friendly towards yeah. Greeks and Italians. That's, that's right. And yeah. I think we grew up at that time. You perhaps, yes, same as later me. on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, as Greeks and Italians, were second-class citizens, basically. That's right. Made to feel second-class citizens. Well, you were all through yeah. primary school and high school, uh, yeah. except when you got to your senior years, and if yeah. you could actually elbow your way up, yeah. up the front of the line, you were yeah. accepted. But you had to elbow your way up yeah. to the front of yeah. the line. So yeah. you kind of uh, suggested that high school wasn't. Uh, great. No, no, high school wasn't great uh, because of that, 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 mm. that shift. Mm. And I look at my grandson at the moment, now he's 12 going on 13, mm. and I think, well you know, now he's got his friends around him at the school, he goes to Thornbury yep. 
Uh, he's got his friends around him. If that suddenly happened to him, mm. if he was moved 20, 30 kilometres out and lived in a shack, shack. somewhere, yeah. how would he be? It yeah. would be difficult for him. It would be so. very difficult, especially when you go into a hostile environment like that. So yeah. what, high school was basically, what, bullying and... There was a bit of bullying, but it gradually, as the years went by, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and I developed an interest in chemistry and some of the, some of the other subjects, and right. it became better. So you were actually able to uh, access the social elevator that existed in yeah, those days. Yeah, yeah. So what, you had a Commonwealth scholarship to go to university? Eventually had a Commonwealth scholarship, went to university, did science. So did you went, Did you go from high school to university? Yeah. Right, yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah. It would be very hard for your parents to pay if you'd never a Commonwealth scholarship in those days. Oh, well, I couldn't have gone to university. No, yeah. you couldn't have. That's no. right. That was quite interesting then, wasn't it, that you yeah. could actually get a scholarship, yep. go to university and not have a hexter at, yeah. the, end of the, at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, well, back then it was you didn't have an... And back then, by the way, mm. the other interesting thing is um, mm. if you wanted to do, of all things, medicine, if mm. you wanted to do medicine... Mm. Uh, and you did fairly well, no problem. These days, it is so competitive to get into medicine. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You really, but back then, with the sort of marks that I had, which were okay, mm. I got in okay. So you, you started uh, off in medicine. But you? I didn't want to do medicine. The reason I didn't want to do medicine was because it was a six-year course, and I couldn't think of... Uh, uh, you know, going to university for six years to do medicine, how was I going to survive financially? It wasn't easy, even though I had a scholarship. Right. I would have well, to... Well, you've got to work part-time. I had a Commonwealth scholarship. Yeah. And you've got to work uh, yeah. during your holidays. Yeah. And yes, there was all that. So all that. I did science instead, and I don't regret the science. So what university was this? Sydney University. So what, did you do a year of medicine or not? No, no. You no. just went into science? Just went into science, yeah. Mm. Why science? Uh, I was just interested in chemistry from, you know, uh, junior school, from you know, primary school. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the way you mixed two chemicals together. You know, mm-hmm. you'd have a green colour and a red colour. Mm-hmm. You'd mix them together and you get a blue colour, you know, and I loved mm-hmm. that for some reason. I just well, thought that was... inquisitive. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And um, so what, you did your bachelor degree? What did university I, was it? Sydney University. Sydney, did your bachelor's degree? I did Sydney? a bachelor's degree. Right. And what happened after that? Then uh, I did a master's degree. Right. Uh, so what they mean, this is in the 60s, isn't it? This, would have, this was in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did a master's degree mm. um, in biochemistry. I was, we were looking at uh, some substances that were called uh, estrogens. Well, you mm. know what estrogens yep. are. Yep. And there's a particular pathway, um, and I was looking at that particular pathway. Um I did two years. I got the master's degree. So what year was that? Did you that finish? would have been uh, 62, probably, 62, 61, right. 62. So it's a very conservative time and it's yeah. things yeah. plodding along. Yeah. So what happens after a master's? After a master's, uh, I worked for Unilever. Uh, oh, right, yep. As yep. a chemist in a yep. laboratory for mm. a couple of years. Mm. Mm. And then I realised after a couple of years that, no, nah, I wasn't terribly... I wanted to do research. I was more interested in research. Mm. Uh, but round about that time, I got the wanderlust, decided to go overseas and went to London, mm-hmm. uh, of all places. Everyone back not, then... Not Athens, but to London. Back to London. <laughs> right. Well, we stopped in Athens. Uh, right. Who's uh, we? Well, I, when I say we, uh, uh, there were some uh, 
female friends that, that right, I've developed. Right, oh, well, your wife's lifting, so we won't get yeah. in that part. Oh, she knows all about she it. Knows about she knows all about it. Right. And we travelled some of the Greek islands, yeah. and they were magnificent back Did then. Did you actually get to the home island, or was that part of Turkey? Uh, no, I didn't get to the home island back then. Was it part of Turkey? or? By uh, no, no, it was, it was Greece. Just it it was 1948, it became 48. part of Greece. Right. Um, so I, you know, did mm. I travelled to some of the Greek islands and really enjoyed it, mm. and I began to feel more Greek. And I met my grandmother in when I was 25. I'd been studying in London, mm-hmm. decided I'd do a trip to Gastelordizo, uh, uh, yes. and met my grandmother. And mm-hmm. I hadn't seen she hadn't seen anyone from her family. And by the way, that's the thing that 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 you feel very emotional about the fact that um, back then. My father left, my mother left, Gustavo They never saw their relatives no, again. No, you don't. Never saw them again. No, you don't see them. I, I never saw any of my grandparents. No. You just, you get, you get the monthly airmail letter, yeah. you know, that thin yeah. aerogram, because yeah. it was cheap. Yeah, it was and cheap. That, and that was the only contact. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, internet, mobile phones, but or as even a, phone calls. As a 25-year-old, mm. I didn't understand the implications of my grandmother mm. seeing me. Yes, yes. So yeah, it would have been nice. I get emotional just thinking about it. Yeah. Were you actually able to communicate with her in Greek? Oh, or? yeah, yeah. I was, so it all uh, came back? Yeah, no, no, I was fluent by then in Greek. I could speak. Greek. Like, what was, Greek. What's this thing about your father not being able to speak Greek to him? Uh, that was when I was very young. All oh, right. When I was, okay. you know, four yeah. or five. But, but you got the yeah. language. Then I got the language. I went to Greek school. Right. Uh, so you, you go to ordinary school and mm. after school, mm. Uh, mm. I was sent to Greek school. Mm. Uh, Did you feel any affinity with the island itself? Did you feel as if you'd been there? No. no nothing like no, that? No. It was just your grandmother? Just the grandmother, yeah. Right. And was she living by herself then? She was she? living by herself um, and she was in her, I think, 80s at right. the time. Mm. And she, um, I was quite impressed with the fact that I thought she was old, first of all, yes. back then, and of yeah. course she probably, you know, she was old into her 80s. Mm. She was so agile. Mm. Uh, she was sitting back on her heels and crocheting, not sitting in a chair, she, yeah. crocheting. Mm. Her vision was terrific. Mm. Um, she was. She lived uh, in a place called Profitis Ilias, which is like a little church, and around mm. the church, all these bedrooms where yeah. pilgrims would go, uh, yeah. and she would walk up and down this hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to Profitisilias, down to the town where she'd do her shopping and things like that, and walk back. And she was doing this into her 80s, which was quite amazing. Well, if you had forward sight, you would have thought, that's going to be me. <laughs> there it is. It's yeah. all about genetics. Well, you never, you never think of any of that. No, you don't no. think of it. But, no. you, but looking at her and now looking at you, mm. I can't really see any difference physically. Well, the other, I guess the, the other story I tell mm. is she is the reason, I guess... Uh, that uh, I've become interested in uh, in food and what's mm. in food and uh, the pollution of our food and things like that because I looked at her in contemplation. I was contemplating, meditating mm. yes. years later yep. and I thought of her and I thought, well, how did she survive in that environment? I mean, what did she eat? Mm. It was all pretty basic stuff. It was olive oils, there was cheese. Yep. There were no contaminants in food. You know, it was all fairly pristine environment. And I began to think, well, you know, our diet is so different to her diet. Mm. Could it be that mm. the way she lived uh, made a difference right. to the way she felt physically? Mm. Her eyesight was good, mm. etc. So yeah. that prompted me to begin to look at what was in food. 
and mm. publish. Yep. Going back to England, yeah. how long did you stay there? Uh, I was in England five years. So did you do further study in England? I did a PhD in London. Yeah, which university? At London University. Right, and what was the PhD about? The PhD was about the synthesis of a group of uh, unusual fats mm -hmm. that are found in the brain and the heart. Mm -hmm. And at that time, uh, we didn't know how these fats were made. The fats are called ether lipids, mm -hmm. and there's a particular structure within the ether lipid that's unusual. And so I would, instead of using human tissues, I was using ox heart. Mm -hmm. So we'd take some ox heart, mix it all up, add a radioactive precursor substance, and then study what happened to the precursor substance. And I don't think I got that far when I was in London right. at that time. Mm -hmm. But towards the end of my PhD, I had an opportunity to go to Austin, Texas, and it turned out there was a guy in Austin, Texas, who was studying the synthesis of these lipids, Bits, these fats, yeah, yeah. in a slime mould. And it turns out, of course, that the slime mould and humans make the same fat, mm. and the mechanism is the same. same. So, but working with slime moulds a lot easier than working with human tissue. Tissue, yes. Yeah. So we studied, and and I think he worked out in the end how the slime mould made these particular fats, mm. and I was sort of working with him yeah. in Austin, Texas. So how long did you stay in Austin? We were there nearly a year. Yeah, who's just we again? Just my wife. Your wife. By then oh, I was well, married. Yeah. When did you meet, where did you meet your wife? You, my wife was a physiotherapist right. working at the institute I was working at, mm. or the institute that was affiliated with mm. London University. Right. was called the, It was the Institute of Neurology, and... Um, I was doing my research at the institute, and she was working in the hospital for nervous diseases, right. which was affiliated yep. close to that. Mm. Um, she was a physio specialising in treating patients with neurological diseases, yep. multiple sclerosis, mm. motor neuron disease, yep. etc. Mm -hmm. So she had this particular skill, uh, and uh, she continued as the years went on to actually work in that field. So mm. what's, what's her first name? Jan. Jan, yeah. right. So what, love at first sight or? Oh. Or just grow slowly over yeah, time? It, it, yeah. yeah. But it's better than an arranged marriage. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it was most definitely not an arranged marriage. Yes, no, I think. No. We got to know each other yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, we got on fairly well. All right. Are you listening to this, Jan? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I'm asking. I'm trying to embarrass you. So, uh, you know, that's why I, was, I was being a bit mean. I'm sorry, Alfred. Mm. Do people call you Alfred or Alf? Oh, these days they call me Alfred, I think. Alfred, yeah, yeah. 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 You get to a stage where you get you need a bit of gravitas yeah, in your yeah. name, you know. Uh -huh. You're no there longer was an Alfred. Dreadful yeah. Michael Caine movie. That's Alfred. right. <laughs> What's it all about? About Alfie, yeah. <laughs> it was dreadful. Yeah. He wasn't a pleasant character. No. Uh, so you got your PhD, I assume, from London. I got my PhD, went to Texas, worked yeah. with uh, the, yeah. Guy Thompson, his name yeah, was. Yeah. Came back to England and. Um, the first daughter was born. But this would be the early 70s, wouldn't it? The first daughter was, this was in 1970. She was born yeah. in November 1980. So London is kind of exploding. Did, did it affect you or the, the social and the cultural changes? Oh, look, I lived in a place called London House. Mm. Now, London House was a, a residential pub associated with the University of London. Mm. 
uh, and it, it took in Commonwealth students. And at the time, for instance, Gough Whitlam's son was there at the mm. same time, Nick Whitlam. He mm. was there staying at this place, London House. Mm. So there were all these, they, they, were, they were males, just, yep. just men. Uh, and they're all doing postgraduate studies. And they came from all over the, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth yeah. including, by the way, for some reason, uh, South Africa mm-hmm. and America as right. well. I don't know why Americans were there because it wasn't the Commonwealth. No. But it was a wonderful place. Uh, you know, it's terrific. It was in the centre of London. Mm. It was close to the hospital where I was working and Jan was working. Uh, you know, it was a great place. So um, I lived there and just walked up to the hospital every day, mm. did my job, then walked back. So what was your job exactly? We're doing the PhD. Oh, this is, oh, so this this is doing the PhD. PhD. Yeah. That's not a job. Yeah, yeah well. <laughs> That's not a yeah. job. It doesn't pay much to your yeah. PhD. I, yeah, I, I did know. a doctor of medicine and I tell you it pays nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when did you come back to Australia? Uh, I came back to Australia because... Um, Family, I guess. Mm. When was that? When was that? That would have been, that was 1970, the beginning of 1970. And I was offered a job at Sydney University, a postdoctoral fellowship. That's good. Doing what? Um, That department at the time, it was veterinary pathology at Mm. Sydney University. And the man I was going to work with uh, was working with spermatozoa. Right. And he was particularly interested in the fats mm-hmm. in spermatozoa. Yep. Yeah, now I'd done my PhD in fats. Mm. And he was interested in that. And he was working with RAM spermatozoa. Mm. Um, and there were these particular fats in sperm. And he right. wanted to know something about them, how they were made, mm. etc. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so you spent most of your life now in Australia, or did you go back overseas? I spent most of my time in Australia from then on. Mm. You know, by the time I got back, 1970, mm. most of the time I, I was there. Well, I've worked in all sorts of other places. I've had mainly in academic positions? Always in academic type S- positions. So how did, how did your career develop? Uh, I, when I, after I was in Sydney for a couple of years, there was a man called Tony Pollard who was a chemical pathologist, a doctor. He was English. He'd worked at Charing Cross Hospital. He'd mm. come to Australia. Mm. He realised at the time that there was no diagnostic service, service for some of these rare genetic diseases, particularly the ones that affected the brain. Mm-hmm. And he decided that what he wanted to do was set up this referral centre in Adelaide. They offered him the job. job. Mm-hmm. And he started looking around for people with expertise in different areas. So... Um, I applied for a position and uh, I then became the so-called expert mm-hmm. in diagnosing these rare conditions that affected the synthesis and the breakdown of fats. Mm-hmm. My area was fats. Yep. Um, and were you lecturing at the same time? No, no I was just, just, just doing research. research. Well, not just, just you're doing research. Yeah. At the same time, mm. around about the same time, six months later, he appointed someone else mm. who... Uh, was interested in studying and diagnosing disease, rare diseases that affected the breakdown of carbohydrates. Yep. So we had these two sort of groups, groups. myself and this other guy. Mm. The other guy eventually, uh, his name's John Hopwood, mm. he became South Australian uh, Scientist of the Year yeah. a couple of years ago. Really? 
so he sort of stayed there. So how long did you stay in South Australia for? I was in South Australia for a good... We went there in 73, mm-hmm. and we came here uh, five years ago, so... In Melbourne? In Melbourne, yeah. So you've been there. Your whole academic career and research yeah. career was in South Australia? It was in South Australia, yeah. So how... how did, Look, it's uh, 4.31. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio uh, 3CR, streaming live on 3scr.org.au. Dale Bridge is doing all the difficult technical things. Without Dale, we wouldn't have a program. I'm interviewing... uh, Well, I'm chatting. This is not an interview with Professor Alfred Poulos, and we're dissecting his life. It's quite... It's a long time to live in Adelaide, I'm telling you, mate. It's a pretty boring town. Uh, <laughs> I've been there a few times. Yeah, yeah, well, I guess you get used to it. You get used um, to it. Yeah. And what's what's good about South Australia mm. is uh, the amount of pollution is a fraction of what it is in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, anywhere you want to go, you can park. I agree with that one. <laughs> Traffic is a yeah. fraction of what it is here. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of good things. There is they, a lot of good things. They have yeah. a very good central market. Not yeah. as good as the market here. No, no. Yeah, yeah but it, it is. Uh, it is you know, and they've... Mm. I, I think I got used to the life there. Mm. So, um, did you, did you, so could you tell us about your academic pro- progression? You're a professor now. How did that happen? Uh, I guess I published a lot of papers. Right. Uh, and what type of journals were you publishing? In? I was publishing in scientific journals, medical journals. Mm. Mm. I became an associate editor of uh, a journal that's called Lipids, right. which is the journal of the, of the American Oil Chemist Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think all that stuff sort of added up. I published over 100 papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone suggested, why didn't I apply for a, a professorship at the University of Adelaide? I did, and they accepted me. And I when, also when, got. When, a, when was that? That was in '94. '94, right. Around uh, about that time, and even before, uh, there was a man here in um, Victoria, David Danks. I don't know whether you've ever heard of I've Dave. heard of the name, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David Danks was a, a doctor specialising in genetic diseases, and he was at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, right, I think. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, we were doing a lot of diagnostic work for him. So back then, I have to be very careful what I say now. <laughs> back then, see, I'm on the ethics committee at the yeah, moment. Well, we actually do podcast this program, so you yeah. have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, back then, going back, you know, in the 70s, yeah. It was no problem getting human tissues That's to work right. with. Exactly. So, uh, you know, a, a doctor would perform an operation and they'd mm-hmm. take a sample of, from a patient, yep. hand it over to me, and I would do, you know, the diagnosis. Yeah. So the, the sample could be amniotic fluid, yeah. for instance, mm-hmm. uh, or it could be a bit of liver, or it could be blood or whatever. you just do the analysis and that would be it. Now you've got to go through all hoops and hurdles. Yeah via ethics committees just about everywhere. And David Danks would send samples Mm -hmm. from Victoria to us and I would look at a piece of brain, look Mm -hmm. at a piece of spleen and whatever and demonstrate whether there was or wasn't an accumulation of a particular fat and if there was, it indicated that the patient had this particular disease. That was the only way of diagnosing it back then. Well, you wouldn't do anything bad. You're actually helping them. Yeah, no, and, and there weren't the ethics committees no, that they were on there. Established. No, you no, did, you did, really. You work, you work within the parameters you find yourself yeah, in, you yeah. know, and that's what you do in, in medicine and science. So, how many years was that you were in Adelaide? Over 30 years, was it? Or yeah, yeah, 30, 30, 30 odd years. years that's yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah I know. Mm. 
Why? Uh, how many children did you and your wife? Two daughters. Two daughters. Yeah. <coughs> one of them is unmarried, yeah. <coughs> and the other one um, is a is a nurse. Mm-hmm. Works at the Alfred Hospital. Right. And she's the one. She's got two sons. Mm-hmm. One going on sixteen, and the mm. other going on thirteen. And we came here because of them. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. That's a yeah. big move. You've been in one place for 30 years. You've got yeah. all your friends, yeah. your, educa- your peers, you know, yeah. your scientific peers, people yeah. you socialise with. It's a big move. Was it worth it? Oh, I think so. In many ways it was. In yeah. some ways it, it wasn't. So you retired first, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I retired. Yeah. So how long have you been retired for? Um, well, it depends on what you mean by retired. Well, I mean... Paid employment, you know. Because I did work as, as a, a lawyer. I did yeah. law as well. You did law as well? Yeah, yeah. Why did you do law? <laughs> uh, I started doing law part-time. Right. Well, just as a hobby. Other people go I gambling. Know, I, I, <laughs> had, I, had this, I had this idea. I was, I was interested in biotechnology, yeah. the development of biotechnology. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in the 1980s, 30-odd mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. I started doing law part-time. Well, I worked full-time. Through the University of Adelaide. Through the University of Adelaide. So you had, you had two daughters you are looking after, uh, a very active scientific career, yes. publishing almost yeah. Yeah, yeah. two or three papers yeah. every year, yeah. at least yeah. two or three papers yeah. a year. That's right. And you had time to do law part-time. Yeah, I did law part-time. So you don't have any hobbies then? Not many. No. <laughs> so how long did it take you to get your law degree? Seven years, part-time. Seven years, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, what did your wife think of all this? Oh, I don't think she was terribly impressed. <laughs> I wouldn't have been either if I was no. married to you. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, um, but the law, uh, I think the law was interesting. Um, you know, it makes you think in a different way. I, as a scientist, you think in a particular way. As a lawyer, you think in a different way. As a lawyer, you tend to think of um, what may happen. You know, you've... You've drafted a contract and mm. this is what you're going to do. But if this happens or that happens or this happens or that happens, that's why contracts, for instance, you know, did, often did run you into the cage. bar, did you? Uh, I did what's called GDLP. I, be, I mm. had the graduate diploma in legal yeah. practice yeah. and I became a lawyer. Mm. Um, when I say I became a lawyer, I continued to work mm. as a scientist, yeah. but I had the law degree. And did you I, actually appear in court? No, no, no. Right. But what I did after I, I left the hospital mm. in '97, mm. <coughs> I decided I'd get out. Mm. I became <coughs> a medical legal consultant. Right. Did that for a couple of years. That is a lucrative. <coughs> I've done a bit of consultancy work. It can be quite lu- lucrative, medical legal stuff. Yeah. yeah. But <coughs> it can be very tedious. You've got to do all these reports, and you've got to dot the uh, I's, cross the T's, and you've got to, you've got to be so careful. Well. I started to do a little bit of that sort of work mm. and I remember a, situ- a situation where there was a, a doctor um, who was in trouble because mm. he misdiagnosed a particular cancer, I right. think it was, mm-hmm. and he got into trouble. Mm. And I was sort of ferreting around trying to work out whether what he'd done was uh, you know, negligent or what. Yeah. And then as I was doing that, I began to think, you know, this guy has been working for years as a doctor. He's done all sorts of good things. He's helped mm. people. Yep. You make one mistake in your life. That's right. And you clob it. That's you know? right. And then, since then, I found, you know, because we knew quite a few doctors, 
you find out many of them had those sorts of experiences. You make right. one mistake now. And it does, and it does set you back. It yeah, does set yeah. You back up. Set you back. Not just, not just yeah. in terms of the work you do, but just in your profession, how you feel about it. Yeah. That you don't want to go back to work. I but mean, it, it is an area where, well, there is that grey line between what is negligence and what is a misdiagnosis. A misdiagnosis is not necessarily a negligence, mm. as you know. Yes. Yeah. Now, getting back to more interesting topics. Now, that's, that's an interesting topic. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Well, if you are, I mean, I've been a doctor, what, 43 years, and uh, I slightly, I'm going to Skype now, but when I get home, there'll be a subpoena waiting for me if I say <laughs> I haven't been dragged through the courts. Yeah. But uh, I have had colleagues who've been dragged through the courts, yes. and for things which are really not even a misdiagnosis, you know, it's uh, quite difficult. But getting back to lipids, now lipids are fascinating <clears throat> because they're really a record of us, aren't they? They're fascinating, and people don't understand. Um, when I was doing research all those years ago, we thought of lipids, fats, as just, you know, obesity, what's stored in your adipose tissue, uh, they had very little function, etc. But, you know, as the years have gone by, um, there's a lot of research has come out that has now shown increasingly that lipids act as signaling molecules. So you get a hormone binding to the surface of a cell, or binding to a receptor, and that triggers a cascade of reactions that involve fats. Mm. They break down and then resynthesize. So they're signaling molecules. Mm. Um, even cholesterol, cholesterol isn't necessarily a signaling molecule, mm. but it's basically a precursor to vitamin D, and mm. that's a fat. Mm. And there's all these other fats that are, you know, Mm. wondrous substances. Well, I mean, I've been interested in lipids because to me it's like uh, when you look at a lipid, it's like you're doing an archaeological dig on an individual. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I've noticed that uh, you've got this, um, you've done 100 papers and I see you've done a number of books, have you? Or? I've um, published, self-published a number of small books. Small books. An earlier one, 15 years ago, was mm. called A Silent Threat. That yeah. was that was about half that size. And what, the was others, that about? what was that about? The silent threat was about um, food and what was in food, the contamination of food. Well, and well, we live in a clean, green environment, yeah. don't we, Alfred? Sure, sure. Yeah. Clean. What did you find? What was the, the book about? The, the book was about these traces of contaminants that come from all sorts of different sources. Like what? Like pesticides in food, traces oh, of pesticides. Are pesticides good? Don't they kill bugs? Yeah, of course they kill <laughs> bugs. Yeah, the, uh, what happens is, uh, you know, trace amounts of them, mm. small amounts, mm. often millions of a gram, uh, are, in, in, are in the food. Traces of uh, arsenic, traces of mercury, maybe bits of lead, uh, all sorts of different things in the food. And then we take food and we do all sorts of things to the food. Mm. I mean, for instance, uh, we take fats and because we want to spread a particular fat and because it's an oil, let's try and make it into a solid, some mm. sort of solid. Mm. So we hydrogenate it and we convert it into, you know, trans fats. And then so the trans fats in margarines, you put it on your bread without realising that it increases the risk of cardiovascular mm. disease. Mm. And now a lot of people, a lot of the manufacturers, mm. are taking trans fats out. Mm. They're using different methods of making, uh, you know, 
hardening fats, what's mm-hmm. called hardening fats, so that the amount of trans fats has reduced. Mm-hmm. But that took years and years before that actually happened, and it was pressure increasingly. Yeah, you know, all you've done, Alfred, over your life is actually confirm what your grandmother taught you. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the matter, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Let me look at it. Yeah. I remember we used to be um, an integrator for eating a Mediterranean diet. Yeah. It was supposed to be bad for you. Yeah. And now? Yeah. I know, now it's, now it's the absolute... Yeah, you pay a fortune to get a good pasta at a restaurant in Melbourne. Another fat that I worked with, mm. uh, and in fact, uh, were the, we, we did some synthetic work on these fats with the fish oil fats, mm-hmm. the so-called omega-3 fats. fats. I could speak for hours on that. Mm. So according to some of the work that we were doing, I was collaborating with a colleague. Uh, fish oil fats uh, are anti-inflammatory. You probably know yes. about that. Mm-hmm. And this whole industry was set up on the basis of studies that were done in cre- predominantly Greenland. Oh, right. Where, where it was shown that the Eskimos Most, in Greenland yeah, had a lower, had a lot, that's right, had a lower <laughs> incidence of yeah. cardiovascular disease. Yeah, yeah. That set up, that mm-hmm. was, I, I think, a major factor mm-hmm. in setting up the fish oil industry, which is a billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether you know, but more recently there have been questions about that early work right. that was done in Greenland. That's right. And they're beginning to say, well, I don't know about that. You know, mm-hmm. Who did they take? Who did they look at? Etc. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think it's had already had a bit of an effect on that, that business, the fish oil right, business. It's, it's an extraordinary industry, the vitamin industry and the... Uh, the, the so-called health industry, oh, in inverted commas, just yeah. extraordinary yeah. Uh, money-making concerns. Oh, yeah. So, at the well, moment it's in the news yeah. because of what's happening with, uh, you know, the uh, health funds. Yes, yes. Yes, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just extraordinary. I mean, uh, I mean, we could, uh, what? I could talk to you about that for ages because yeah. I gave a, a series of talks at U3A on oh, right. supplements. On supplements. Health right. supplements. And uh, did you actually come down on one side or another? Did you think they were all useless? Or did oh, you think there was one not, they're, they're, not, they're not useless, but mm. if you have a reasonable diet, I don't know why you need them. Basically. Exactly, especially in Australia. It's, it's yeah, just extraordinary. No, you know, reasonable diet. You go yeah. to a chemist and yeah. the whole wall's lined up with supplements, which people don't need. Yeah. Which I mean, they? we must have the most supplement-rich urine in the world, I reckon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they should look at the supplements instead of just the drug screens when they <laughs> look at the fecal material and urine <laughs> and sewage. Now, I've got a book here called The Secret Life of Chemicals. Yep. <clears throat> is, this, is this like the secret life of a masochist or something or sadist? I mean, how do chemicals have secret lives? <clears throat> I don't think people realise that traces of environmental chemicals mm. <coughs> can be taken up in many different ways uh, through your skin mm-hmm. uh, through the air you breathe um, through the food that you eat you know, there's all, all sorts of different ways I was astounded as I did the research for that to realise and you would probably know about this when you uh, you can actually take uh, some contaminants, if you take them into your nose, they can cross directly into the brain. Yeah, blood-brain barrier, bang. Get beyond the blood-brain. They don't have to go through the blood-brain every, barrier. Ev- ev- every yeah. cocaine addict knows that. Yeah. <laughs> he snorted. Yeah. Snort. <laughs> to, get, to get the effect, yeah. yeah. So, so what, what, type of, you said, what type of chemicals do you think ha- that, that you're concerned about? 
as a researcher, you know, and somebody who's been in this field for years and years, what would we in a so-called developed uh, nation, what should we, we be concerned about? Uh, what type of chemicals? Well, I think some of the industrial chemicals, because I don't think we know all that much mm-hmm. about them. What, what could you name some industrial chemicals? Well, the uh, I guess the obvious ones are the PCBs, yep. the fluorocarbons, mm-hmm. those sorts of chemicals. I call them in here. Mm-hmm. I call them the indestructibles. Right. Indestructible because they're, the pathways for breaking them down are almost non-existent uh, in humans, and um, they, they're broken down very slowly, even by bacteria in the environment. Right. So they tend to stick around for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. They end up accumulating in, in, in fish and animals, and mm-hmm. we eat those, and, and we have difficulty. We don't break them down. I mean, right. they, they sit. So there. what do they do? Where do they sit? Well, they, they can sit in the adipose tissue. In right. fact, there was, the, I quote in here, and I was horrified with this, mm-hmm. um, you know, the part of the brain that's mm-hmm. involved in Parkinson's disease, for instance. Um, someone demonstrated the presence of one of these organochlorines in that, in that part of the brain. Now, mm-hmm. you ask the obvious question, if these things can cross into the brain and they can get into specific parts of the brain, is, is that the reason why some people end up with Parkinson's disease, for instance? Mm-hmm. Um, because there is this, this dilemma, you know, you look at... Yeah. People in a so-called developed country, you look at somebody in a, a developing country and then they move from that country to this country and then they diseases which they wouldn't have got, they now yeah, get at the yeah. same rate as the population. Yeah, I which, know. Would you say, which obviously is environmental, has to be environmental. Well, we know, yeah. well, you would know this, mm. all diseases mm. are caused by environmental factor and genetics, mm. these two factors, right? Yeah. Environmental factors include bacteria, include viruses, certainly uh, prions, mm. you know, mad cow disease, yeah. certainly chemicals. Mm. We know that, you know, we know that arsenic, we know mm. that mercury kills people. We know that certain drugs uh, cause effects for people, mm. you know, adverse effects. So there's no doubt that chemicals do cause disease. But what we don't know at the moment is whether environmental chemicals, in the tiny amounts that are actually present, in our diets, mm. in the air that we breathe, etc., but we know, yes, if the amounts are sufficiently high over a long period of time, they cause disease. Mm. Classic illustration, black lung disease, yes, yes. Uh, silicosis. Yes, yeah. There are a number of, for instance, many of the uh, asthma, many people who've got asthma, mm. the reason often they have asthma or the, the asthma is exacerbated mm. is because they're exposed to something in their working environment. Mm. We know there are all these occupational diseases where you get a larger dose of a chemical and that causes yes, a problem. Yes. We know that. Mm. But what we don't know, how many of the cancers that develop, how many of the autoimmune diseases disease that, that are due to traces of these chemicals that are in our have environment? You, have you got any... Um, um, people in your site? Any, not people, any diseases in your site that... Well, I, I wonder about um, farmers. Um, mm. There have been lots of reports about farmers and some mm. of the problems that... Uh, well, my, my mother died at 75 from adenocarcinoma of the lung and she had been a farm worker yep. and she'd been exposed. I remember as a young boy her having a, uh, a spray pack on her back yep. and spraying, no 
mask or anything. Vegetables, yeah. you know, row upon row yeah. of vegetables, and I don't know if that had an effect on it. But you can't prove it. No, you can't prove any of this legally. You, you, can't. you can't. As a lawyer, you know you can't prove well, it. Well, um, what's mm. interesting is apparently, I, I mean, mm. I didn't know this, that mm. glyphosate, mm. you know, they're, they're now saying it's potentially carcinogenic. Yeah, as far as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, yeah. Yeah, and mm. you think, well, how did they prove it? Mm. How did they prove that? I'm thinking like as a scientist and as a lawyer, mm. how would you prove that this particular person it, w- it was it was someone. It was a farmer, I understand. Yeah. I, I haven't read full well, exposure. It was actually yeah. the amount of exposure compared to a, another population. Yeah, but whether that particular paper stands up to scrutiny, who knows? But the courts accepted it. Yeah, it was they only accepted. One paper. Yeah, yeah, I know. And yet, in that earlier book I wrote, the Silent mm. Threat, mm. I had this thing about glyphosate, mm. and the South Australian Department of Agriculture back then said that you could, you know, you could take up to five grams a day, and it wasn't a problem. Yeah. Now they're saying you're exposed to, you know, millions mm. of a gram mm. and that's enough to cause cancer. So, yeah. I mean, what do you, you know, it's hard to believe and hard to prove. Oh, it's very hard to prove. Is there any other chemicals you think we should be aware of? I'm not, I'm not saying concerned, but aware regarding uh, exposure in, in, in an urban environment. In an urban environment, I think my greatest concern is what's in the air that we breathe uh, mm. that's generated from fossil fuels, you know, mm. uh, cars, uh, buses. So what, what, what in the air concerns you? Um, the hydrocarbons that are generated, the, mm. you know, the, what are called aerol hydrocarbons, mm. they're produced. Mm. Uh, they, they sit on particles. You've heard of particulate matter. Yeah, yeah. They vary in size. They're solids. There might be bits of metal, bits of brake lining, who knows, all sorts of different things. And they bind these chemicals uh, and then you breathe them in. Now, we know that in some parts of the world, like, for instance, classic illustration is Delhi, for instance. Another example is Beijing where the levels are really high and there's concern about, you know, respiratory problems as a consequence of that. So that's what I worry about more than anything. I think what's out there? And when you get a lot of traffic... Uh, diesel's worse apparently Uh, the research indicates Mm. that it's worse Mm. and I have to tell you one story Uh, because of all that's going on in the trains at the moment our street has become a place where uh, where buses replace trains and uh, it's it's finished now but for two weeks there have been all these buses going down this street Mm. nine, ten of them, one after the other And often they leave their engines on and you're generating all this stuff that goes up into that and then people are breathing it in. So I worry more about that than anything else, I think. What's in the environment? Yeah, we actually, look, I do a fair bit of driving and I can actually taste that yes. morning. You can actually taste what type of... Well, my taste, but I just feel I can taste what type of day it's going to be in yeah. terms of pollutants. Yeah. You just get that feeling. Have you got any ideas, and this is out of left field, have you got any ideas why there's so much anaphylaxis among... Young children these days. Do you think it's a, a chemical issue, or do you think it's a environmental issue? Have you got any ideas about that? Uh, no, uh, I would imagine it's some sort of an environment, environmental issue. Uh, mm. There's something present mm. in the book. It talks about traces of chemicals, environmental chemicals that can in, can interfere with the immune system, the mm. way the immune system operates. Right. Uh, you can get changes in the proportion of the different types of T cells and B cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get synergism, synergistic yep. effects. Yep. Uh, so it's possible that there are environmental chemicals that are producing that effect. effect. 
Yeah, mm. it's possible. So how, how do people get hold of this book? Um, they contact me directly. Right. Have you got a, have you got a website? Or I've something? got a I've got a website. Professor what? Alfred Poulos so is the website. Professor Alfred Poulos. P O U L O S. And no papa there. Yeah. No papa. And no dots or anything. No dots. That's it. They can contact you directly. Professor Alfred dot com. Dot com. And there's a website. Yeah. Look, I hate to be commercial, but what would they be looking at? What? Price wise. That's twenty dollars plus oh, that's the postage. Yeah, the postage is ten dollars. Yeah, yeah, well that's two hundred and seventy pages. And you've got references, which is what I like. There's nearly seven hundred references. Yeah. Well, if you've published a hundred papers you would have references, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So what are your plans for the future? I'm continuing the research. Mm. Uh, I want to write uh, an extension to this book and I'm Looking specifically at noise, I mentioned noise, noise mm. pollution. Mm. Um, I'm looking as well at um, e-waste, which is a big, big thing. All this, all these things, yeah. uh, what's in them, mm. uh, how you get them into your bodies, etc. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, those sorts of things. Um, trying to think what else there is. There are other areas that I'm exploring. This, mm. this question of waste. Um, I don't know what we're going to do when we have 10, 12 million, billion people on the planet. <laughs> what are we going to do with the waste? I don't waste? think it's going to be your problem or my problem. No. I don't think we're no, going to be there. No, no. We'll leave it up to Dale to sort that out. No. What do you reckon, Dale? I just hope you hang around for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, to make us suffer. That's what it is. Yeah. Look, I think, uh, look, Professor, I think uh, Adelaide's loss is our gain. Oh, it's nice of you to say no, that. No, 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 no. Look, uh, you know, most people at your age kind of sit on the couch and watch TV or get ready for a nursing home bed, and uh, mm. you've, led a, you've led an extraordinarily productive life, and I'm sure your father would have been gobsmacked <laughs> at the life you led. You yeah. know, he's, he, was he illiterate or was he illiterate? Oh, he was, he was illiterate. He was illiterate, yeah. He, he could barely... St- he couldn't read Greek properly. No, that's right. Uh, he couldn't speak English. He yeah. lived in Australia 60 years or yeah, something, never yeah. spoke English. Well, that's the extraordinary thing about Australia, and yeah. I think that's something we've lost, is that social elevator which allowed people like you and me to actually make, make the most of our lives because mm. of that free education. And yeah, the, well, we made could, a huge difference. Huge didn't difference. It? And yeah. today, you know, I just cry when I... Yeah. Um, Think about uh, the way things have changed. You do an arts degree or a science degree. At the end of it, you are what twenty grand, thirty grand, or yeah, something. Yeah, and then you can work as a barista if you're lucky. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Professor. Uh, it's a Alfred pleasure. Poulos Enjoyed for coming talking in. to you. Yeah. And I'd like to see you come back in again in a few years' time when you've done the appendum to the book, and that's an open invitation because okay. I think uh, I think. Uh, it's something we all need to look at. You're right. There's increasing population, increasing yes. pollution. We are flesh and blood at the end of the day, and it does have an effect on all of us. So, uh, thank you very much for all the work you've done over the years. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I wish you, your wife, and your family all the best in this great city of Melbourne. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.
could see no way to keep my body still. When you heard the call, you left me on my own. I could see no reason to find my way back home. I saw him on his knees.